Hey, it's Karen Hunter from the Karen Hunter Show on Sirius XM Urban View. Here's a highlight from today's show. Uh, on the heels of everything that's going on right now, let me welcome to the show Chris Benson, professor of journalism, school of journalism uh, at Northwestern University, Integrated Marketing Communications. Hi, Chris. Hey, Karen. Long time. It has been a long time. Your hair is longer. It's, uh, yeah. Different color. Yeah, 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 yeah. You, you have. You have, you I, have, have I have to give a shout out to Tanya, too. We just came off of two sessions together. So, hey, what's up, Tanya? Yeah, <laughs> we can continue that legal conversation that we, we couldn't have over there about the Justice Department closing this and why that's just BS. There you go. I, I hope you saw my chat that I agreed with you, even though I was trying to set out what was going on. So, yeah, here we are. So, and, and, you know, Karen, you and I kind of started out with this this subject a long time ago, and it's just amazing to me that we're still struggling with trying to find justice, you know, for Emmett. And, and justice isn't about somebody was like, well, the, the lady, Carolyn Bryan is old, let it go. And I'm like, no, this is not about Carolyn Bryan and letting it go. Her actions led to the death of Emmett Till. Full stop, period. Had she not claimed that Emmett Till was made sexual advances, her husband and his brother-in-law would not have gotten uh, out of Moses' home and got that boy up in the middle of the night and then brutalized him over an extended period of time before shooting him in the head and, and tossing him like trash into the Tallahatchie River. She should pay for that. This is not about revenge. This is about justice. So what does that look like when the Merrick Garland's Department of Justice says, oh, nothing to see here. Case closed. We can't prove it. Yeah, it, it, it's a tough one. And and so, you know, you shouldn't be able to run out the clock on, on murder or, or being an accomplice to murder, or being part of a conspiracy or whatever. Exactly. We know we know what happened. We have seen um, different elements of the evidence of, of what happened. The issue you know, when it comes to uh, law enforcement, when it comes to prosecution, is how they prove it. We see it differently. Uh, they see it in a way that says, okay, if we mount a case that isn't successful, what signal does that send? We would submit to, uh, to any prosecutor that what signal does it send <laughs> to appear to let white supremacists get away with it? Agreed. And, you know, they got acquitted and then they confessed. So let her get acquitted. Let her get acquitted. Let her go to court and say in a, in a courtroom that she never said that. Let her go in a courtroom and testify to what this boy did to her. Um, they weren't even in town on the day that these events allegedly occurred. So somebody had to tell them what happened. And since only she and Emmett were in the room together, what did she say that led her brother-in-law and her husband to go and torture and kill a child? There is no excuse. I don't care if she spends two days in jail. I don't care if she dies before she gets there. Getting a, a sentence that tells these white supremacists it may have lasted for 400 years is done now. Well, it's not done now, which is why there's nothing to see here, right? And which is why we're having this frustrating conversation because none of us in this room have the power. And you, both of you, I mean, Tanya, you're portraying um, maybe Till Mobley's mom in in uh, the women of the movement. Uh, Chris, you you spent a lot of time, and Chris is flexing. He's got his Emmys in the background. Look at look at look at that look at that Tanya. He's he's flexing on on the camera. Uh, I ain't uh, mad at him. Okay. I ain't mad at them, but so you, they just happen to be here. I they just, they, you know, you were dusting in there. So, um, you know, you spent a lot of time with Mamie Till Mobley. Um, and 
what what does she feel? What was her dying wish? Yeah, well, I, I spent the last six months with her. Um, she wanted to leave behind her story. She was actually desperate to get a book written. Uh, it's interesting because I met her with some people who wanted to uh, tell the story in, in motion picture. And she found out I had written a book, a novel, and she turned to me and said, you know, I've always wanted to write a book. And at that point in June 2002, um, I could have easily said to her, yeah, well, I'm about to start on my second novel. I'll get back to you in six months. In six months, we would have lost the story forever. Mm. So I'm always reminded of just how these, uh, the, you know, these, these situations can turn on, on a moment. Uh, so it was the most extraordinary six months of my life. Uh, to be able to hear her and, and just to hear her voice just now in that clip you played uh, mm -hmm. is chilling to me because that was the last uh, voice uh, I heard is li listening to the recordings when I got the word that she had she had died. Um, but we worked together for the last six months of her life because the most important thing for her at that point with failing health was to be able to leave this story behind, to have it live longer than she could live in order to help give guidance to other people for generations to come. That was her commitment. To understand something about justice, the denial of justice, the structures of racism, which she had come to understand, moving from being what she had described early on as too naive to walk the streets alone, uh, to show how she went through this transformative moment, to illustrate for us that we all have a purpose in life and we have to step up and, and serve that purpose. These are the kinds of things she wanted to accomplish. But the interesting thing about that clip is what she had finally come to, uh, to uh, appreciate about this story. I think she, she always wanted to, to certainly have someone uh, pay for uh, the death of her son, but she also had accepted that that might not happen in her life and that we should understand our own role in, in bringing justice for all the future cases. She had, um, because she was such a spiritual woman, had found, um, again, that, that, uh, that, that some people are going to have to pay on their way to the hereafter. And her, um, her cousin, uh, Reverend Wheeler Parker, is telling that story now. I'm helping him with his book right now. So. Mm. To Tanya's point, um, and the number here is 866-801-8255. Chris Benson is here. Um, author, professor, um, does it signal to, and I'm not going to call them white supremacists, I'm going to call them uh, clan adjacent people, does it signal to them, because that's what Dr. Carr, Dr. Carr says clan adjacent, I'm going to say it's clan adjacent, Well, that, you know, the clan that is over? Go ahead. They got a new name. The people who were the clan, isn't it called Patriot Front now? I don't care what they call them. We going we know what that means when you say name. people are clan adjacent. Uh, that they, I don't think that it signals to them that even the 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 conviction of Derek Chauvin, the conviction of the McMichaels, uh, and and Brian, that doesn't signal anything to them. They were still they were marching on on at Lincoln Lincoln Monument just this weekend. You know, in full, you know, blue and khakis with their, you know, their their drums and bullcrap, like they're still out in them streets. So, what is it going to take? What is it going to take? Eight six six eight zero one eight two five five. Day two, we're going to try to solve racism in America now uh, with Tanya and Chris Benson. What do you think it's going to take to really penetrate this ridiculous notion that some people deserve rights, other people do not? Some people deserve life, other people do not. Um, and that they can do whatever they want without with impunity. What do you think it's going to take? 
All right. Well, go ahead, Daniel. I, I, I say it's going to be the fall of the United States into disparate little communities, countries. You know, this art, this article I was reading today said it's going to be 15 nations and then they'll be, you know, they'll be hungry where it's fascist and that'll be some part of America. And then there'll be the very liberal communities. But I think that this uh, United States is going to fail and fall. OK, okay. Chris, do you, do you feel that way? Uh, it's scary to to recognize we're on our way to that. I think the only thing that we can do right now is help uh, elevate the consciousness of uh, people who are at least prone to to think rightly about this. Um, that you know, one we have to we have to think beyond race, gender, you know, heterosexuality, and all of that to realize that those are issues certainly, but those are stops along the way. It's all about power. It was about power in 1955 when uh, the Supreme Court ruled in Brown versus Board of Education that, you know, uh, apartheid had to end. White people got upset about that. It's, it's power now as we're on the cusp of a new demographic reality and people are scared that sharing power means losing power. And we have to understand it that way and help people see that what's happening to us is going to be happening to them. And by them, I mean white people. Okay, that what they're doing right now, we're kind of like the canaries in the, in the, uh, the coal mine, right? They are, they are trying to disenfranchise us, but what they're doing is destroying everybody else's voting power. I mean, if you, are, if you lose your voting rights in, uh, in Texas, that's going to affect people in California as well when you get to the Electoral College. So we got to understand we're all in this together. Emmett Till is not just an African-American story. Emmett Till is an American story, and it's an, it's an illustrative story of the, the threat that we're all facing right now. We are here, Tanya Pinkins, my partner in power this Wellness Wednesday, and joining us, of course, Chris Benson, uh, author and professor. Um, yeah, I asked the question before we went to break. Tanya feels like it's done. It's, it's done. Uh, I know, Chris, you, you brought this case to the DOJ. I think you were part of that 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 move to to get, you know, I guess, justice for Emmett Till. It didn't happen. I know you're disappointed. What comes? What do we do next? What What do we do now? Well, I'm working with uh, Reverend Wheeler Parker Jr. right now. He was uh, Emmett's uh, cousin, best friend, and he was there at the house that night at Terror. Um, mm -hmm. And he's been living with this for 66 years um, in, in, in search of justice, hoping for justice. He's now a minister, a pastor of the church that Emmett Till's grandmother helped to build. So he's saying, okay, well, you know, this is heartbreaking. It's, it's certainly disappointing. Um, we're going to move forward, right? And how do we move forward? We have to move forward to, you know, do what you would expect uh, a Christian minister to, to say, and we have to change hearts and minds as best we can. One of the things we, we've done is to establish an Emmett Till and Mamie Till Mobley Institute uh, to help, uh, to help uh, reach out to young, uh, uh, young people, young people of color, uh, to uh, to help them understand their place in the society because they're not getting it from uh, from the school system. We talked about this uh, a little bit during the break and how, uh, or before the break, and how critical race theory now has energized the right. Uh, they don't even know what it is. That that thing you read there doesn't even describe what critical race theory is. And I, it, it's one of the pillars of my work at the graduate level. Okay, um, but uh, but but they think that it's something that we're teaching people in nursery school. Okay, and so they're using this as a, a political um, campaign slogan to erase our history so that they can write theirs on a clean slate. And that's what we have to protect against. So one of the things we're going to be uh, developing over the course of this year is an Emmett Till curriculum we're going to introduce in the high schools. The pilot <laughs> is going to be launched in Mississippi. So we're going right into the, the, the belly of the beast. 
uh, and they're uh, in their next legislative session starting at the first of the year. Top of the top of the heap. Okay, forget about flooding in the Delta. Forget about poison water in Jackson. Forget about people dying at a at an accelerated rate from COVID. Number one on their agenda is an anti uh, CRT uh, law. Wow. What? Hmm. Eight six six eight zero one eight two five five. That's Tanya. I can't hear you. You're you're muted. You're muted. You're muted. Okay. So many things. So you know as an energetic spiritual thing, when you want to remove something from existence, you have to turn your attention away from it. We don't live in a culture that knows how to practice those spiritual laws. You know, 45 had to win because just as a point of fact, statistically, he had gotten more attention and fame since the idea of fame came to be. This is about CRT. It's not taught except at a college level. So giving it any attention of talking about something that is absolutely moot, ban it. It ain't taught there anyway. You want to spend that money and that time, fine. But the media now pumps it up, gives it attention, gets people all upset, makes, makes podcasts. They're making money off of just making people upset about something that doesn't exist. I totally agree. One of the, the courses I, I started for um, for the graduate students in, in, in journalism at Northwestern, because uh, I'm in the, the social justice cohort, we have a specialization on social justice media. And a seminar I started is, uh, is titled uh, Fake News, Racialized Propaganda. And so we look at what the media have done, right, to advance, to be complicit, right, in the propaganda that's being advanced reverse discrimination. There is no such thing. I'm a lawyer, you're a lawyer, you know, there is no such thing as reverse discrimination under the law. We use that term all the time. And all that does is, is communicate to the public that some people are privileged in our society because they get the benefit of the law and white people don't. They have to charge reverse discrimination. No, if you're white and you feel like you've been discriminated against, that's racial discrimination. Trumpism is another aspect of that. This thing didn't start with Trump. <laughs> it started way back at the beginning as, we just, uh, as you just uh, sorted out. We have to look at the structures of racism. It's not about Trump, one individual who's doing all this stuff, although he's given permission to do it. I assign my students uh, essays to write about wokeism or woke, you know, this, this whole notion of, of woke as a, as a campaign slogan as well. We stopped using that when they started taking it over, hijacking it, weaponizing it, and turning it into something that we never intended, right? And so if the media pick up on that and they refer to it without explaining that what they're doing is basically accepting the redefinition of wokeism, then what are we doing except being complicit in right. the propaganda? So we have to, this is what I'm talking about. We have to educate people from start to finish, from, from, from bottom to top, in order for them to be media literate, first of all, to understand their responsibilities as citizens in this multicultural democracy. And that's what's scaring people that we are becoming more multicultural, okay? By the middle of this century, it's not gonna be a white country anymore. And they're scared to death about that. We have to educate our people about their role in this this thing, and don't get disappointed because you you know you're not getting everything you want right now. We got to keep stepping up. Chris Benson is here. Uh, what does a, and I'm going to ask you if you would allow for this curriculum to be previewed in narrative. We're going to talk off mic about that. But what does an Emmett Till curriculum look like? Well, we're going to be working with Facing History and Ourselves. It's a national international organization that introduces issues of, of DEI, uh, diversity, equity, inclusion, 
in the public schools. And I've presented for them a number of years and now I'm on their board of scholars. Uh, we're gonna be working with them to develop a curriculum. It's really amazing. I, I reviewed what they did on nine, uh, 1919. Uh, focusing on Chicago and how they're going to be teaching that, the Red Summer, the summer of the race riot uh, mm. in many cities, but in Chicago in particular, and they, how they have uh, contextualized it. They don't just tell the narrative, the factual narrative, but all the things that led into that, the Great Migration, for example, and the tension that was uh, swelling in our major cities as Black people started coming in from the rural South. Uh, where they were, where they were being lynched, right? And looking at opportunities in the north and how white people were pushing back, and that was the, the, you know, the match that that lit this whole thing. But they they teach it, you know, thoroughly, and it's it's just the most amazing thing what the students are going to get out of that kind of curriculum. That's what we're going to do with Emmett Till. Emmett Till is not just a story of some white people who did something horrible to this black kid. It's 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 the fear, right, of white people losing their position of power. Here's one example of that. In Tallahatchie County, where the murder trial took place, right, there were 30,000 uh, uh, residents in Tallahatchie County in 1955. 19,000 were black, okay? Two thirds of the population in Tallahatchie County was black, and not a single black person was registered to vote. Think about how the jury would have looked different, this all white, all male jury that uh, acquitted his killers. Think about how that would have looked different. Think about how the sheriff would have been a different person than the person. Yeah, who... but that, that, that's where they beat Fannie Hamer for going to register to vote. They kicked her father, her and her husband off their sharecropping for registering to vote. So he couldn't have been different then because of what no, it but, was. No, but what no, he's no. saying is, you know, th this is something for us to consider that right. you know this is how race go ahead i'm sorry chris i didn't want to step on you. yeah no no that's exactly what i'm saying that's what that, that's my point it's all about power right that's still and the same it, way there's still you, cities in mississippi where the black people do not have any representation exactly. they're the majority is, they're 85 percent in a in a city and they don't have any representatives i agree and there are other cities around the country like that but the the the, the issue is that now Mississippi has more black elected officials than any other state in the country. The point is not, you know, whether it, it you know, it, it, it's realistic to think about that in the 1950s. I'm just saying if it had been the case, there would have been a different outcome, even in this case. And so it's, it's really about power. And we need to be thinking about that. We need to be working at it every day and not giving up because we're frustrated on one, uh, one uh, failure or another. We need to keep stepping up. And that's what Mamie did. She was working to the last day of her life. She was preparing to go to uh, Atlanta. She's 81 years old, in terrible health, on dialysis three times a week, accelerated dialysis so she could get in shape to fly down to Atlanta to deliver the keynote address at Ebenezer Baptist Church in honor of Martin Luther King Jr.'s birthday, and she had a heart attack. She died, as Wheeler Parker said, she died with her boots on. How are you prepared to die? How are you prepared to live? <laughs> I like it. I think we got to keep fighting, but I think we need to understand that the fight will extend beyond our lives because power does not concede. And, you know, you, you get ahead and that's fine. Just... I mean, I'm totally, I'm totally in agreement with that. And what you're doing is part of that, too. You know, in, 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 in being part of the, 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 the telling of the story, that's important because people are going to be energized by that when they see this series. They're going to be moved by it. They're going to be. They're going to feel connected. They're going to fall in love with this kid and with his mother, and they're going to feel some sense of responsibility themselves and stepping up. So everything we can possibly do contributes to that. Yeah.
We, I agree. We, we're doing all of the things not for us. I mean, anyway, I think, you know, I, I know for a fact, you know, the work that I'm doing, I may never see it come to fruition. But if we don't do it, it'll never happen. So I like I'm grateful uh, for the Mamie Tills that put on her boots to her last breath and everybody out there that is making and Tanya using your art, uh, women of the movement and Chris using your art uh, and writing books. And I can't wait for this next book to come out. Death of Innocence is the book you did with Mamie Till Mobley. And, uh, you know, brother, keep fighting. Keep fighting. You have an open seat. We're going to keep talking when this book is done. And we're going to talk off mic about this this curriculum because we're in that space, too. I want to thank you for, for sticking around. We'll do. All right. Chris Benson is his name. Hey, this is Karen Hunter. You can listen to the Karen Hunter Show live every Monday through Friday at 3 p.m. East on Sirius XM Urban View Channel 126 or anytime on the Sirius XM app.